Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Let's review. The first week I told you that what started as God's desire to connect with one man, Abraham, spread to his family, Isaac and Jacob, to a nation, the nation of Israel, and eventually to the world. That includes you, that, that's me. God's love went viral. The second week I told you that as Christians we've been infected with the love of God and we've caught the virus of God's mercy and God's grace. And, and we must not allow our faith to become quarantined. Then last week I told you that the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's not intuitive. Someone has to share the good news with you in order for you to get it. Jesus gave us a great example of how to share that love with unbelievers and we reach them through our scars. Let them see where you have been and how God brought healing into your life. It was a wound, but now it's a scar. God brought healing to your life. Let them see that and, and that's how you go viral. To help you in your effort to become viral with your faith, We've created a frame, a tool that you can use, and it's a frame that you can add to your Facebook profile. We're going to put a sample of it up on the screen. And um, if you add this frame, um, I want you to know, first of all, you're not going to see my, my famous icon there. It will be your profile picture, but the, the blue part down at the bottom. And, and it says, sit with me at Easter at Destiny Community Church. Now this, this helps you. This is a tool that you can use. You can go right now and I'll tell you how to do it. Click on your profile picture in Facebook and then choose add frame. And then choose frames from pages that I like. Pages that you like and then just find the Destiny Community Church, the one that we added there and click on that. I think you can also find somebody else, a friend of yours that may already have it. I think you can click on there and add it that way also. So there's two things that I want you to do, church, this week. Two things. I'm challenging you as your shepherd, as your pastor, I'm challenging you to do these two things. First of all, I want you to add this frame to your profile picture because thousands of people will get this message and you're inviting them to come sit with you. If nothing else, it may open the dialogue. It may open the conversation for them to say, hey, tell me a little bit about your church. And so we're challenging you to do this. Add this frame to your profile picture. And, and second... I want you to personally invite at least one person, invite at least one person to DCC verbally. I want you to say, will you come to church with me? I know that gets some of you out of your comfort zone, but if you don't, don't ask them who will, according to Dr. Tom Rainer's book, The Unchurched Next Door, he says that 82% of the unchurched are likely to attend if a friend or family member will just invite them. 82% of the unchurched will come to church. If just a friend or family member would just extend an invitation, what if their eternity depends on that? Sadly, the same book said that only 2% of church-going people ever invite someone to, to church in a given year. Only 2% of the believers invite someone to go to church with them in a given year. Seven out of ten unchurched people have never been invited to church in their whole lives. Seven out of ten. They've never been invited to church. Let's change those statistics, statistics right? Let's change it. Let's get out. Let's add this, this uh, frame to our profile pictures, and let's personally invite someone to come to church with us next Sunday. And, and I want to say this to you. If possible, if it is possible, I'm asking you to please attend either the 8 or the 11 o'clock service. Ne next Sunday right here in this room, we have an 8 o'clock, a 9.30, and an 11, um, as well as a sunrise service out at the property at 7 a.m., and we'll have communion out there. 
But if possible, if you, if you have guests that are coming with you to the 930 service, by all means, come be with them. Don't let them come and sit by themselves. Come and be with them. But if, if there is a way that you can attend the 8 or the 11 o'clock service and alleviate some of the crowding in that 930 service, it sure would be helpful for us just next Sunday. That's all we're asking you to do next Sunday. The American journalist Tom Brokaw, he wrote a, a book a few years ago entitled The Greatest Generation. And this book was a tribute to his father and the men and women of his father's generation. And they came of age during the Great Depression. These young men and these young women answered the call to be part of liberating forces during World War II. And after the war, those men and women were used to provide leadership and business, education, and even government. And, and this came at a time that, that probably will go down as America's greatest influence on the world. According to Tom Brokaw, these people were the greatest generation in American history. They were people who rose heroically to face enormous challenges. And church, I'll be the first to admit to you that we face enormous challenges right now. In our effort to make our faith go viral, we have enormous challenges in front of us. Our nation is more divided than ever before. Our society is more secular than ever before. And our generations are more separated by worldviews and moral values than they ever have been before. But church, don't let that scare you. I, I know it, it, it sounds depressing. I know it does. But don't let this news scare you because the early church faced enormous challenges in its early years. And what should have been a death blow to the spread of Christianity actually ignited it. It strengthened it. And we're seeing this played out right now in communist China. Because the, the Christian church in communist China is exploding, the underground church, uh, because they're having to, to be careful because they will be persecuted for their faith. But home groups are popping up all over. Home cell churches are popping up. And it's, it's happening in the middle of persecution. This happens. And the church always thrives during persecution. So just because society may look dark right now and just because society may be looking down their noses and, and calling us bigots and, and other things, maybe this is the time that the church begins to rise. Maybe this is that moment that we've needed because the church has always flourished under enormous challenges. Some of the persecution that the early church faced came from the hands of a young man named Saul. Saul was a Roman citizen by birth and a devout Jew by faith. And at one time, according to, to what he said in the scripture, he was a Pharisee and he said his father was also a Pharisee. He was born in Tarsus, which is modern day Turkey, and Saul studied Judaism in Jerusalem. So he left home, left, left Tarsus at a young age, came to Jerusalem and studied under one of the great Jewish teachers. By his own admission, he said that when he was a young man, he held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He was there. He was part of that. And he became a persecutor of the church. But Saul had a come to Jesus moment when he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And in that moment when, when his life was, was drastically changed, he, he decided he would change his name to Paul. And he became the most influential person in the New Testament besides Jesus Christ himself. 
13 of the 27 books of the New Testament were written by, by Paul, and, and, and he is one of the featured heroes of our faith, featured in the book of Acts. Even though he didn't write it, Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he writes about how great Paul was and how much of an influence he was at spreading the, the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's faith became contagious. It became viral. And, and he, he, he could not let the good news be quarantined to just Israel. And so Paul begins taking missionary journeys to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. If this was his life's mission. Paul made the message of the, the cross inclusive and not exclusive. It, it was like this. Not a Jew? That's all right. Jesus died for you too. Come be a part of us. That was his mission. He wanted to include everyone. He wanted the love of Christ to spread throughout humanity. One of the things that we score high on here at DCC is our, our warmth, our hospitality, and our friendliness. I mean, we've even built that into our service. You know that, right? It's very intentional. We take two minutes in our service for you to walk around the room and meet and greet. We want you to be very intentional with this. And so we score very high. When guests, guests tell us all the time, man, this is what made me feel welcome. And, and it's, it's hard for someone not, to, not to, to fit in around here. It's hard for someone not to feel welcomed here. And, and I'll never forget that first Sunday that the hospitality just, just started spreading. Pastor Andrew came up here and uh, he, was, he was greeting everyone and he, it, was, it was one of those typical Sundays and he said these words. He said, if you're looking for a church home, welcome home. Well, he would do that week after week after week. Then all of a sudden, one Sunday, I was sitting right here on the front row. One Sunday, about halfway back in this section, I hear uh, and Andrew says from the stage, he said, if you're looking for a church home, and I heard a voice from the middle section here say, Welcome home! And I'm sitting on the front row and I went, oh my Lord, who, have, who was that? They just scared every guest in the room. I mean, you have to understand, I'm very programmed. And so I was like, well, who, who did that? It was Larry Griffin. He just shouted out, welcome home. Well, the next Sunday, I, I forgot about it, the next Sunday, Pastor Andrew comes back up on stage and he goes through his spill and he says, if you're looking for a church home, and Larry's whole row shouted back, Welcome home! I thought, oh Lord, it's contagious. <laughs> the next Sunday, it had spread throughout our whole congregation. Pastor Andrew came up and he said, if you're looking for a church home, and everyone in the room said, welcome home! And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> it, just, it just spread around. It just, it just took off. We could not contain it. That's the way Paul was. Paul was, was wanting people to, to feel the gospel. He wanted them to, to be included in it, not excluded from it. Paul truly was a catalyst for making Christianity go viral. And so today, I want us to read Paul's first recorded sermon in Acts chapter 13. That's where we'll be reading from today, Acts chapter 13. There's some wonderful words, some great, some great writing here in Acts 13, some great words that were said. I want to take a part of, of Paul's first recorded sermon, and I want us to read it today, and then, then we're going to specifically dive into one verse. And um, I just believe God's going to do something and challenge us here today on this last week of, of the viral series. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. 
And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So, so let me stop right there just for a moment. I want you to get this. Paul and his companions are just attending church. They're just sitting in the congregation. They're not the guest speakers. Paul is not the guest speaker. He is not on the docket to, to speak this particular Sabbath. After they read some Old Testament passages from the law and from the prophets, they invite Paul to come up on stage and say, if you have anything you'd like to share, if there, if there are any words of encouragement that you could share with us, why don't you come on up and, and share those words of encouragement? The Bible says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, now I've tried to figure out what that means, motioning with his hand said, I think Paul just liked to talk with his hands. You know anybody in your life that just likes to talk with their hands? Yeah, point at them if they're in the room. I want to know who it is. There, there, there. we have some in the room right now. They like to talk. They can't talk. You, you have them sit on their hands, they're silent. But maybe that's what Paul was doing. He was talking with his hands. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I love how Paul says that. For 40 years, he put up with them in the, in the wilderness. They were not easy to get along with. We know they complained. They grumbled a lot. And he said, for 40 years, God put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years and after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. He's giving them a history lesson on, on the Jewish faith. He's, he's taking them through the Old Testament in a very brief synopsis. He, he's, he's reminding them of where, of where the Jews have been. Verse 21 says, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. And now he starts sharing the gospel. Listen to what he says, verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he who God raised up did not see corruption. Today I want to take you to our focus verse, which is verse 36, Acts 13 and 36, which reads, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, 
fell asleep. According to Ancestry.com, a generation averages about 25 years from the birth of a parent to the birth of a child. Although it varies case by case. And they go on to say on their website that we also generally accept that the length of a generation was closer to 20 years in earlier times when humans mated younger and life expectancies were shorter. So for tracing the family tree, 20 to 25 years is usually considered a generation. Studies show us that a pastor naturally draws in people who are within 10 years of his age in both directions. In other words, it's kind of like this. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I had to ask Mandy during the first service to make sure, but I'm 43 years old. I naturally attract an age demographic between the ages of 33 and 53. So this tells me that as a leader, as a pastor, I have to intentionally surround myself with leaders who are both younger and older than I am because my natural generational reach is 20 years. Biblical generations are not as clearly defined. There are times in the Bible when the word generation simply means the next round of descendants and there's not a specific time frame that is mentioned. In Genesis, Joseph lived to see the great-great-grandkids of his son Ephraim and the uh, uh, great-grandsons of his son Manasseh, which clearly, when you read it, you'll realize that Ephraim's line was expanding at a faster rate than Manasseh's line was. We see this happen sometimes in our society. This happens when a woman gets pregnant. Maybe she's, you know, later in life and she's not old yet, but she's later in life. And around the same time that her grown daughter also gets pregnant. And, and so when those, those children are birthed, that they are raised more like cousins than they are actually like, you know, aunt and, and niece or uncle and nephew or, or uncle and niece or aunt and nephew. And so even though that's what they are, it's, it's just different. Although these two children would technically be raised in the same generational lifespan, biblically speaking, they could be from two different generations. Take, for instance, my, my wife's uncle. He had grown children from his first marriage when his new wife got pregnant with twins. He was 55 years old when he found out his wife was pregnant with twins. I've raised twins. I can't imagine the pain, the heartache, the agony that this man went through at 55 years old, finding out that he was about to raise twins. At 43 years old, I'm I'm happy to have mine in college, and and I'm looking forward to to some days where you just don't have to keep track of them all the time. You know what I mean? And so, 55 years old, he finds out that that he is pregnant, or his wife is pregnant with twins. (laughs) It's a real miracle if he's pregnant. I'm just letting you know. 55 years old, he finds out that his wife is pregnant with, with twins. His daughter was 36 years old at the time, and she had daughters that were 15 and 13 years old. Let me explain to you what this looks like today. Those twin boys are now nine years old, and they are the uncles to those 25 and 23-year-old girls. It's messed up, isn't it? (laughs) And if you think that's interesting, you should just go to lunch with me today. My wife, her family is all messed up. I mean, (laughs) crazy. 
The term generation, it had other meanings in the Bible too. Numerous times throughout the Bible, the term to the third and fourth generation, it just simply meant a long time. It wasn't a literal third and fourth generation. When, when, when the writers would say that, it meant this is, this is an extended amount of time. And then they would use a term like to a thousand generations. A thousand generations was used to describe forever or used to describe eternity. The word generation was also used in the Bible to, descri to describe a, a group of people who have something in common. Take, for instance, those, those uh, Israelites that are standing on the threshold of the promised land. And, and there was a generation that, that God was, was not going to allow them to enter into the promised land. What did they have in common? They had doubt in common. Because when the 12 spies went into Israel... All but two of them came back saying, we cannot take this land. The inhabitants are too great. We cannot take this land. The two youngest ones came back saying, we can take this land. And so God said, no, there's a generation that has a like-mindedness. They, they have this in common, that they have doubt. We are not going to allow them to enter into the promised land. And so uh, God, God shut the door to the promised land. And their ages were 40 plus years apart. But they were referred to as a generation. They had to die off before God would allow the younger generation to go in. The exact definition of a generation is really not what's important today. What is important is what you do to serve the purpose of God in your generation before you die. And that's what I want to talk to you about. What are you doing to serve the purpose of God in your generation before you die? Paul said it like this in, in, in that first recorded sermon. He said, David served the purpose of God in his generation before he died. First of all, David served. David served. As simple as this sounds, you have to understand how, how people would receive this. This is, not, this is a very interesting word that Paul uses to describe a king, King David. King David was royalty. And royalty should not serve, they should be served. Someone should wait on them, not them go wait on other people. And, and Paul makes the point that King David served. The Bible tells us that David was a man after God's heart. God actually said this about him. He is a man after my own heart. And I think that we often misinterpret this scripture to mean that David was, was like God. And if you're like me, you have a hard time making sense of how David is a man after God's own heart when we know that, that David was an adulterer, when we know David was a murderer. And so when you say he was a man after God's own heart, what does that make God? Is God an adulterer? Is God a murderer? And I think we've just interpreted this scripture wrong. David was a man after God's own heart. David was chasing after God's heart. He, he was not perfect, but he was trying his best to develop his heart to look more like God's heart because he saw something in the heart of God that, that was appetizing and appealing to him. And so David, through his worship and through his service, he wanted to become more like God. Matthew 20 and 28 says, For even the Son of Man came. Listen to the words of Christ. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus came to serve. King Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, He came to serve. That's the heart of God. And David had the heart of God because one of the reasons why God elevated David to the throne was because of his servant's heart. At a young age, David served. If you remember, David, he he cared for his father's sheep. He took care of the sheep. He took provisions to his brothers when they were in the army. He served them. He, He stared down and defeated Goliath so that his nation could be saved. He served his nation. And then even though... King Saul was a crazy, a madman, and and when his emotions would get out of whack, David would sit in the corner and play his harp, serving the king. Even at times when when Saul would pick up a spear and throw it at his head, and he would have to duck, and he would just keep playing his harp, serving the king. He fought battles long before he was king. He fought battles to protect Israel, serving the nation. But Paul said, not only did he serve, David served Israel. The purpose of God. David served the purpose of God. What's the purpose of God? The purpose of God is love. The purpose of God is love. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved this world. That's His purpose. 1 John 4 and 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's purpose is love. Now listen to me. This is where it's going to get tough right here. This is where we grow. This is where God stretches us. You don't serve humanity with your discrimination, your crude jokes, and your biased opinions. That's not how you serve humanity. You don't serve humanity with your self-promotion and your egotistical mindset. That's not how you serve humanity. You don't serve humanity with your political agenda. Most of the time, our political agendas are so far from the gospel of Christ. You don't serve humanity through your political agenda. You serve your generation through showing and sharing the love of Christ. Some people get confused between outreach and evangelism. Really quick, let me tell you. Outreach? Outreach is showing God's love. Evangelism is sharing God's love. And there's a difference between the two. I can show you God's love by serving at our Easter extravaganza. Some of you that have already signed up, thank you for signing up ahead of time, by the way. If you haven't yet, go on our app. You can do it even while I'm preaching right now. Go on our app and go ahead and sign up. But as soon as you sign up, get off of it and listen to the rest of the sermon, okay? We need you to sign up. But you can show God's love to our community and surrounding communities through volunteering at events like the Easter extravaganza, our family fest, or our annual serve day. That's how you show God's love. But in order to share God's love, I must become contagious and be willing to speak about God's love for humanity. That's where the uncomfortable conversations have to come in. Where I'm willing to look somebody in the eye and say, listen, because I care about you and because I love you, I want to know, what do you think about eternity? How do you feel about Jesus? And, And you begin to share God's love with them. 
You are called to both show and share your faith. And showing God's love through, through serving, showing God's love, it often softens their hearts and eventually it gives us the opportunity to share God's love. Let me tell you something. If, if you think that the Easter extravaganza is an opportunity just for your kids to go and pick up 22,000 Easter eggs or whatever it is, if, if you think that's what it's all about, you're dead wrong, friend. We are hosting an Easter extravaganza again this year so that thousands of people will show up on that property and we can show them God's love and an effort to soften their hearts because eventually we are hoping they will show up here and we can share the love of, of Christ with them. That's why we have an Easter extravaganza. Enjoy it. Have fun at it. Let's have a blast. But know in the back of your mind, know in your heart of hearts that we are doing that to show God's love so that we can soften their hearts and share God's love. And finally, Paul said, David served the purpose of God in his generation. David served the purpose of God in his generation. David was responsible for his own generation. He was not responsible for the generation before him. I mean, how could he possibly be responsible for generations that were born before him? He had nothing to do with their decision-making process. He was not there. He could not control what, what, what they decided to do. Their mishaps, their mistakes, they were not his responsibility. It may have affected him at times, but, but there's no way he can take the responsibility of that. In the same way, church, listen to me. In the same way, I can't do anything about what took place before I was born. You can't do anything about what took place before you were born. Because trust me, if I could, I would go back in time and I would try my best to change the way that some things took place. There are things in, in, in my family history, there are things in our nation's history that I am just not proud of. And if I could, I would go back and I would change those things, but I can't. Steve Sapp, one of our baristas at our coffee shop, The Blend, he has this unique hobby of researching history and family trees. And so one day I was in the coffee shop getting coffee and I was talking to Steve. And I told Steve, I said, man, I'd love to know more about my family history. And Steve said, well, give me a, a, a little bit of information here, a few birthdays and things like that and names. He said, I'll, I'll start researching. I'll figure, figure some stuff out. I said, thanks, man. I really want to know a little bit more about my family history. And then it hit me. Do I really want to know about my family history? <laughs> All of my dad's family is from Georgia. Is there any good thing that comes out of Georgia? I, I, I thought to myself, Lord, I don't know if I want to know this because, I mean, I'm, I'm, just being very, I'm just being brutally honest right now. What if he discovers slave owners? How do I reconcile that with my faith? Because that's a real possibility, you know, right? I thank God that I'm not responsible for what they did, but here's what I am responsible for. Making sure it doesn't happen again. I'm responsible to fight racism. I'm responsible to share the love of Christ even if they don't believe the same way that I do about certain political agendas that I do. Even if their lifestyle doesn't necessarily line up with my lifestyle, I am responsible to share the love of Christ in my own generation. 
That is my duty, my responsibility. David was not responsible for the generations that came before him, but when it came to the people that lived in his time, David was more than accountable for them. I love that in the Old Testament there's this, this story of, of Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was his name, and the story of Mephibosheth kind of goes like this, that King Saul was so angry with David and so jealous of David that he was out to kill his life and the kingdom was divided. David was best friends with King Saul's son and, and his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan was torn. How do you be loyal to your father who is the king and, and also loyal to your, your blood brother, your best friend, David, also? And eventually... King Saul and Jonathan were killed. David begins searching for any descendants of King Saul. Is there anyone of the family of King Saul left? And, and you know what people are thinking. He's going to kill him. I mean, because if, if you're the new king, if, if you're taken over, you don't want anybody from the old regime left over, right? For your own sake, for your own safety, let, let's annihilate that bloodline. Let's get them out of there. And so David begins searching. And his men tell him, he said, well, there's, there's this one guy, this, this one young man living in a place called Lodabar. His name is Mephibosheth. David sends for him. They find Mephibosheth under a table hiding in a hut in this small town called Lodabar, fearful for his life. But what he didn't expect was that the king was going to extend grace and mercy to him and the king brought him to the palace put royal clothes on him let him sit at the at the table see Mephibosheth was crippled because at a young age when they were fleeing out of a house his nanny dropped him his nurse dropped him and it caused him to be crippled well David goes out searching for the marginalized he goes out searching for the wounded the hurt much like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does. He brings him to the table and allows him to eat the king's meat, drink from the, 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 the king's uh, 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 wine. He allows him to, to, to partake of, of, of being royal, royalty right there in the king's palace, not because of who Mephibosheth was, but because of whose he was. He belonged to Jonathan. You see, the king came looking for us. Not because of who we are. Good Lord, I am a mess. You understand that, right? I don't deserve God's grace. But the king came looking for me not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. Because I am blood-bought. I belong to the, to the kingdom of God. I'm part of a royal priesthood because of whose I am. And Paul understood this. And he based his ministry off this belief that for David... After he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. But David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. Imagine that being the epitaph on your tombstone. Mandy and I have argued about it for years. I think she's finally coming around. I told her, I said, I don't want to be like buried. I just, just, just put my ashes wherever you want to put them. I actually told her where I want them scattered. So cremate me. But baby, if you're going to put anything on my urn, here's what I want it to say. 
Rocky, who served God's purposes in his own generation, fell asleep. That's what I want to be remembered for. I want to be remembered that I committed my life to God's purpose. And I fulfilled that in this lifespan that he gave me, in this particular generation, in this, in this moment of history. I fulfilled that calling. And when God was done with me, he took me home. I fell asleep. I died, and he took me home. And when I awakened, you can trust me, I'm in the presence of the king. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what I want for my life. The great evangelist D.L. Moody preached a message about Jesus Christ to a crowded hall in Chicago one evening. And as he closed his message, he encouraged the attendees of the meeting to go home, consider the claims that had been made about the gospel, and then told them to return the next week ready to sell, settle the matter in their lives. That night, Chicago heard the ringing of fire alarms and the clatter of horse-drawn water wagons being hurried through the streets. That night, the great Chicago fire killed hundreds of people. Many of them had attended the evangelistic service with D.L. Moody. Heartbroken, D.L. Moody committed himself to never again forget to urge people to receive Christ immediately before it's too late. D.L. Moody was determined to serve the purpose of God in his own generation, and he did. Responsible for thousands coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In order to become viral with your faith, you have to be willing to serve the purpose of God in your own generation. And that's here, that's now. Remember the old song that we grew up with as a child? Hide it under a bush. You know the next part? Hide it under a bush, oh, oh no. I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. We got to get back to that. Eternity is real. And in his crazy scheme of things, God decided that he would put the gospel in our hands. I'll never understand that. But he did. What are you going to do about it? Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.